Well, good morning. Thank you so much for that. So good to be with you, and to, it is a privilege to be here at Lifestone this morning. It's been fun to get to know Lifestone Church a little bit more recently, and I, I just wanted to let you guys know you have an incredible pastor. He's a great guy. Love Ben. He's an incredible leader and a joy to be around, and whenever I get together with Ben, he always tells me how much he loves you. Okay, so you need to know that your pastor cares about you. And I'm so glad he's on vacation. Uh, he gets some time off, so that's a good thing. Um, as Ben just shared with you, um, I have uh, well, our family's been here in uh, Utah for 17 years. And we've, we've uh, just started, well, I've just started a new project. It's called the Elevation Project, where we are going to be able to be in, involved in many churches. Uh, we currently attend Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, but we're going to be able to be involved in, in pastors' lives and churches' lives, and we want to help people grow in their effectiveness in reaching people for Jesus. And so uh, this is a great thing that, that, that God's opened up uh, doors for in my life, and I'm excited about that. One of the things that um, I've, I've been doing as I've been starting this new job and ministry is, uh, as I'm raising support, I've been substitute teaching. And um, anybody here, an educator, teachers, do we have any teachers? They all came first. Oh, there's one. Uh, they, most of them came first service. They like to get in and get out and get done. So um, one of the things that you need to know about uh, substitute teachers is that even though teachers appreciate substitutes, the kids don't seem to appreciate substitutes. And uh, I've been, uh, I was at a job a few weeks ago, uh, and I was supposed to teach in a health class, but the school neglected to give me a key for my classroom, and it was out in one of these big trailers where there's like 10 classes, and this hallway, and it's like this hallway is an echo chamber, and I've got 49th and 10th graders standing there, like just being chaotic, because the door won't open, and they're looking at me as their substitute, like, you really don't know what you're doing. And, and it's like, I didn't have any way to tell them that I didn't know what I was doing. So I was sitting there kind of going, oh, it took 10 minutes to get someone down there to open the doors. And by that point, I had lost the classroom. And, and so I'm, I'm hanging out with these kids and trying to, trying to get them settled down, finally take attendance, get them settled down. And I look at the instructions that the teacher left me and he said, there's a blue binder in one of the cabinets, and it has a lessons plan for you. And I look to the left, and there's this entire wall, like 7,000 cabinets and drawers. And so not only did I not have a key, now I had to go hunt and search for this blue binder. So I'm going through all this stuff, and the kids are really like, you seriously have no clue, do you? And so I look and look. There's no blue binder. I don't have any lessons plan, lesson plans. And I, I'm, I have these kids for the next 75 minutes with nothing to do. And so after they see me kind of, you know, searching for everything around me, they're like, okay, you don't know what you're doing. We're just going to take over. And so I see these kids walking around with these ski goggles on, okay, and they're walking around and they're stumbling over things and they're laughing and giggling and having the best time. And at that point, I'm kind of like, you know what? 
If you can't control this, just join them. So I'm like, give me those ski goggles. <laughs> so I put these things on. And have, has anybody ever tried these, these drunk goggles? Yeah, they are weird. Like they completely distort your vision to make it seem like you're inebriated. Okay. I had these glasses, these goggles on for like, I don't know, 10 seconds. And I'm like running to the trash can because I'm feeling nauseated. It is it affects you like instantly. And I'm, th- I'm thinking, oh no, I don't want to puke in this class. Everything's gone wrong. What else can go wrong? And so I, uh, I, I was like, I take them off, hand them off, and then I kind of quiet myself down, you know, get, get myself together. And I'm like, okay, you guys just take out your phones, hang out, do, as what, do whatever you can to just not make, uh, uh, you know, too much noise. And, and we'll get through this class period together, and I'll let you out 10 minutes early, which I'm not supposed to do. But at that point, I'm like, I'm done. But these glasses, these goggles, showed me how often our perspectives can get distorted. You know? We can, we can lose perspective of the world around us, and, and we can see things um, in ways that, 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 that don't really help us that don't really help us see things clearly. And one of the biggest struggles that I think we have when it comes to our perspective, to the way we see the world around us, is by the way we love other people. You know, a lot of times we struggle with people around us. In the first service I talked about how, you know, sometimes we go to the grocery store and you go to the grocery store and you're just around all these people who are driving you crazy. People run into you with their cart. People are, are getting, out, getting their cart out in front of you and cutting you off. You got a, a checkout line that lasts 40 minutes and you pick that line, you know. And we get frustrated and annoyed with people all around us. And we don't see people in the proper perspective. If you're taking notes this morning... I want you to write this down. Jesus wants us to see people like he does. He wants to give us new lenses, a new perspective on how we see the world around us. And he wants us to engage with them as he did. He wants us to engage with them. It's not just how we see people, but what do we do about it? How do we engage? This morning we're going to look at a passage from the book of John chapter 4, and we're going to look at it specifically in light of this idea. How do we see the world around us? How do we engage with it? Before we dive into this passage, though, I want to give you a little bit of background so that you can understand what's happening. Um, this story is, is known, uh, if, you've, if you've ever read it before, it's known as the story of Jesus with the woman at the well. And this woman is a Samaritan. She's from a totally different culture, different people group than Jesus is from. Jesus was a Jew. This lady is a Samaritan. And what we need to know is that Jesus and his disciples, in the beginning of this passage, are, are in a place called Judea. And we've got a map here. that's going to pop up here in a second. They're in a place in, uh, called Judea. They're in the orange and they're traveling to Galilee, up in, the, up in the yellow area there. And in order for them to get there, they have to go through Samaria, which is the blue part. Okay. Now, what you also need to know is that Jewish people would not travel through Samaria. 
Their disdain and frustration and hatred towards Samaritan people was so strong that they would choose to go the long way to Galilee. So they would leave Judea, go to Perea, then to Decapolis, and then all the way up to Galilee. They'd take the long route up there. And so their frust- I said their, their disdain for these people was, was that great, their animosity. And why was that? Well, the reason they, they didn't like these people is because they were a competing religious culture. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans disagreed on a number of religious things. They were very similar, but had some key differences. They argued over which religion was the true religion. Which one was God's ordained religion? They, they kind of fought over that. The other thing that they fought over is, where was the true temple? See, the Jews argued that the temple was in Jerusalem, and that's where God had ordained for them to put the temple. But the Samaritans, they put their temple on Mount Gerizim, which sits right outside of the city of Sychar in Samaria, where this story takes place. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of what's going on. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to see Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman and how he sees her differently than, than, than normal Jews would and how he interacts with her in a totally different way. So let's pick up the story in verse, uh, John chapter 4, verse 6. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the long walk. He sat wearily beside the well at noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Right away we see this interaction here. The the woman's surprised because Jesus is acting different than any Jewish person she'd ever seen. He treats her with kindness and dignity. He has an, an entirely different set of lenses than what most Jews would see her with. You see, the New Testament tells us that that Jesus created the universe and everything in it. Colossians chapter 1 says this, Jesus existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. And he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. You see, Jesus sees her as someone who is created in the image of God. And he wants this woman to know that she can have a relationship with her maker. He takes this opportunity to engage with her And see if she's open to spiritual things. Is she going to be open to me sharing with her how she can have a relationship with me, her creator and maker? The disciples aren't around for this. 
They're, they're on to other things. They're thinking about how they can get some food, and, and that's, not, that's fine. I mean, we all get hungry. Most of us get hungry two to three times a day, right? Sometimes more. Um, but we, they're off doing the things that normal people do. And Jesus is here, alone at the well, and he's got something else on his mind. He's, he's, he's focused on love. He's focused on the world around him and the opportunity. Every single person that we lock eyes with is someone that is loved by God and created in his image. And Jesus, Jesus is clear on this. Perhaps you came here this morning and maybe you're new here and this is the first time you've come and you were hoping to show up at a church and, and be encouraged by something this morning. Well, I, I want to give you a nugget of truth that I think is one of the, the most encouraging things you could possibly know. And it's the same thing that Jesus has in mind for this woman. I want you to know that you are loved by God. That you are loved by Jesus and you matter deeply to him. And his great hope and desire for you is that you'll receive this free gift of salvation and relationship that he has to offer. You, maybe you, you showed up this morning and you said, you know what, I don't feel close to God. In fact, if I were to define my relationship with God, it would be really far away. But I came here with the hope that somehow, some way, I could be close to God. And I want you to know, more than anything else, that Jesus, when it comes to us feeling far away, Jesus is the one who makes the first move. Jesus is the one who makes the first move here with this conversation with this woman. Jesus is always, always showing us that his love comes first. He wants you to realize this and he wants to prove his love to you. Let's continue. Verse 10. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And beside, besides, do you really think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. John chapter 1, just a few chapters before this one, it tells us that Jesus comes into the world full of grace and truth. And when Jesus engages with this woman in conversation, he starts with grace. The grace of life-giving water. Of the grace of a free gift that God has for her of eternal life. And so he starts this conversation 
with grace. He's not aggressive. He's skillful in the way that he talks to her. And throughout the conversation, he's gauging her level of spiritual interest. He invites her to receive this thing called eternal life. And he he describes this life as this river of living water, of fresh water that springs up from the inside. He's painting a picture of what life with Jesus is like, what life with God is like. That God wants our lives to be full of rest and refreshment to our souls. The woman, however, is focused on physical water. She, she's really not tracking with Jesus fully, is she? She's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know you. You know, we just met. But if you want to ship that, that lifetime supply of smart water to my house, that'd be great. That's kind of where she's at in this moment. Like, then I wouldn't have to come out to this well, and I wouldn't have to do all this work in the middle of the day, and... That would save me a ton of trouble. So yeah, go ahead, you know, bring me this living water. We continue on. Jesus changes things up. Verse 16, he says, go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now we see Jesus taking this conversation deeper. And he's taking it in a different direction. He turns the conversation to truth. Jesus sees into this woman's heart and he knows her pain. He knows what's been going on. She's had a number of bad relationships And Jesus isn't pointing this out to judge her. What he's doing is he wants her to come to the realization that she needs something greater than physical water. That what she's really craving is something so much bigger than the necessity of water. You see, it's easy for people, it's easy for us, when it comes to our sin or our hurts or our failures, or our pain, to go, let's just push that aside. Sweep that under the rug. We don't want to talk about it. But Jesus goes there with her. He goes there with her because he realizes that it's only in the midst of her realizing her pain that she's going to be open to the fact that she needs something more. And Jesus wants to get her to a place where she realizes that he has what she's looking for. For some of us, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, maybe you've had a chance to go and share your faith. Maybe you've shared your story of what Jesus has done in your life. And we get to we join Jesus in this, this idea of helping people realize what their great need is. But we don't get to do it the way Jesus did. Nobody can look into another person's soul and see all their past. Now that would freak me out. Sure, it would freak everybody out, right? Nobody wants to be able to do that. Jesus can do it, we can't. So how do we engage in the way Jesus engages? 
The way we engage is that when Jesus transforms our life, and he transforms our hurt, our pain, our struggle, when we invest in other people's lives and we have authentic, loving relationships with them, we can open up and be vulnerable. We can open up about our own brokenness and say, this is what God did in my life. This is where God met me. Just where I was, he met me. And he transformed my life. And I know brokenness and vulnerability isn't easy. It's not easy for any of us. Really, really, really not easy for guys to be vulnerable and broken. But I'll be honest with you. Nothing is a greater gateway to being able to break down barriers and break down walls and share the love of Jesus with other people than when we're authentic and we're vulnerable with what God has already done in our lives. This is how we get to engage people the way Jesus did. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter where, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You're, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, and so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. See, at this part in the conversation, the woman recognizes that this is, Jesus is more than ordinary. He's not just some Jewish guy passing through because he's different And because he's got some sort of special prophetic power, he's got some connection with God that is is kind of freaking her out. And so what she does is she, she switches the conversation. She switches it to religion. And you get the sense that she's thinking, okay, this got really personal really fast. You know, imagine if someone came to you and told you every sin you've committed every struggle and failure you had, you'd be like, whoa, whoa. This, is, this is kind of getting personal fast. And so she's like, well, let's talk about something more comfortable. Let's see. How about I take religious debate for 500, Alex? <laughs> she moves the conversation to something else. She doesn't really realize what Jesus is about to do. That Jesus is going to take this idea of religious debate, Samaritan versus Jews, and he's going to turn it upside down. And what he's about to reveal to her is going to shock her. He tells her, 
I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's going to clear up all the confusion. I'm the one who's going to remove the walls that keep people out. And I'm going to be the one who kicks down the doors of religion that that separates and divides. And I'm going to open the doors for everyone everywhere to experience a relationship with the true God of the universe in their spirit, in spiritual ways. And you are going to come to realize that this is what you've always wanted. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And I think it's pretty incredible that Jesus takes the time to reveal the greatest secret in the universe to this woman. You know, there's no religious leaders around. There's no politicians around. There's there's nobody great and mighty around. It's just one woman at a well who, who kind of represents what's going on in Samaria. And he just says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Why does Jesus do this? Because he loves her. He loves Samaritan people. And he wants to break down the walls of hostility, of racism and culture, the things that divide us. And he wants us to realize that he's the answer. Go on in verse 27, he says, just then, the disciples come back and they're shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. All of a sudden, the reality of what Jesus says hits her. And she's like, oh my goodness. Now she's open to spiritual things. I've just met the one. I've met the Messiah. She drops everything. She leaves and she goes and tells everybody in her village about who she met. See, the reality is when we know Jesus, people who know Jesus, they love to tell other people about Jesus. I love what she says here. Once she realizes that he is full of grace and truth, and and, and that, that that she is loved, she's transformed. She's transformed immediately. The pain that she was trying to hide now becomes a badge of honor. You see, part of the context of this story is she is going out in the middle of the day at noon when the sun's really hot to go get water. Culturally, that didn't happen. They would go and get water in the morning when it was cooler because it was a lot of work to go get water, to carry the water all the way back into the village. That took a lot of effort. Why would you do that in the middle of the day? The only reason... She would have done that in the middle of the day is because she was a person with a checkered past and she didn't want to be around the well with all the other ladies because they didn't like her. And you think about this. Once Jesus tells her that he's the Messiah, she runs back into town and she goes, 
I want to tell all these people, even the people who've rejected me and don't like me, I'm going to tell them about this man who's told me everything I've ever done. The thing that I'm most ashamed of now becomes a badge of honor because of Jesus' transformation in her life. She gets to share with them that maybe, maybe he could change your life too. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples are urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. And Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, There's four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up. Look up. Look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvester, the harvesters are paying good wages. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant, and others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. You get to get the joy of gathering the harvest. Again, the disciples show up here, and they're confused. They've got their eyes on physical things. Who gave Jesus something to eat? They they don't understand what's going on. And Jesus doesn't get frustrated with them. He, He isn't annoyed by their lack of vision or commitment. He loves them. They're in process. He's growing. He's 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 using this opportunity to grow them, to bring them along. This is a a teaching moment. He reminds them that he has called them to be disciples. And when he first called them as disciples, he called them with this. He said, come follow me and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Your life is going to be about spreading the good news of the kingdom of God with other people and drawing them in. To love people and to engage with them. And Jesus is calling them back to what he first called them to do. His vision, his purpose for their lives. And he's trying to get them to see, guess what guys? I know we're walking through Samaria. And I know you don't want to be here. And I know that you've grown up with a a religious bias towards them. A cultural and racial bias. Prejudice. But I love Samaritans. I love these people. And I want you to realize this calling upon your life includes them. I want to reach them. They need to know who I am. And he points them out to this mountain right outside the town, Mount Gerizim. And he says, look up. Look out there. And so the ancient context is this, is that the people would come off the mountain after worshiping on their, at their temple. 
And Samaritans would dress in all white. And this is why Jesus says, look up for the harvest is white. Yes, they're a competing religious culture. Yes, you don't, you don't necessarily like them. You don't necessarily believe what they believe. But look at them because I love them. And I want you to be a part of loving them and reaching them too. You know, this call of Jesus doesn't just extend to his first followers. The call of Jesus extends to all of us who call ourselves followers. Jesus is asking us to take our eyes and look up. Look at the harvest. Look at where God wants us to see people that we would normally ignore or be indifferent to and see people that he loves. And he wants us to be willing to engage in authentic, loving relationships so that we can share the good news of Jesus. Where is your Samaria? Have you thought about that? Are your eyes open to the opportunities that God might be placing around you? Are you willing to engage in God's great mission to share his eternal life with others? Jesus wants us to be fully engaged participants. He wants us to experience the same joy and satisfaction and purpose that he experienced. He says, I've got food that you don't even know about. I am full. I am satisfied because I'm engaging in what God's called me to do. Jesus wants us to see people like he sees people. And he wants us to engage with them as he did. So what do we do about it? I know this is an intimidating prospect for many of us. I get intimidated. I grew up in a pastor's home. <laughs> I've been a pastor Sharing, sharing your faith is an intimidating prospect. Where do we start? You know, you, fight, you might feel like, hey, I don't have any of the answers. I'm not good with those, those religious conversations. Here's where you start. Number one, tell God that you want to see the world the way he does. This is a very, very important thing. And I promise you, if you pray this prayer, God will answer you. If you're always like, if you're one of those people who's like, you know what, I have a hard time seeing God answer my prayers, okay? And, and hey, I've been there. There's no judgment here. I have a hard time seeing God answer my prayers. You pray this prayer, and I promise you he will answer it. You ask God to give you his eyes for other people, and you will start to see people differently. I started recently um, praying for I coach a couple soccer teams, uh, club soccer teams, and I started praying for the kids on my soccer team um, on a regular basis. And I said, God, let me see them the way you see them. And God is doing some really cool things here where nobody else sees it, of, of like how I see them and how I love the guys that I get to coach. And it's, it's been such a cool thing. Now, I've always cared about them. I've always loved them. But I see them differently today. God has answered that prayer in my life. 
If you need to see somebody differently, if you've got a Samaria in your own heart, ask God to open your eyes to to the way he sees them. Number two, engage in the opportunities that God gives you. We all need to realize that we have been given a unique circle of impact. There are people around us that we might be the only Jesus they ever come in contact. They're the only Jesus they ever see. And so you have an opportunity to engage. One of the things I like to do is pray for God to show me where those opportunities are. We don't want to be the people who rush in. We don't want to be the people who speak out of turn. We don't want to be the people who who blow up friendships because we're trying to share Jesus with every person we meet. You don't want, we don't want to be those people. Authentic relationships with open opportunities. And God wants us to engage. Jesus was investigating with this, with this woman. Is she open? Is she open? She wasn't in the beginning. He leads her, and then she's open. Last thing, come and see. Share the invitation to come, come and see and share the invitation. Oh. It had to be you. Okay, I like it. Um, to come and see the, uh, did we get that cleared up yet? It's on pause. All right. To come and see and share the invitation with someone to come to church. Simple as that. You know, it doesn't have to be this huge process where I go, hey, you know, I'm going to share, you know, everything I know about the Bible with someone. You do that, and they're probably going to be like, stop right there. But you know what? This woman, she's transformed, and she immediately goes, and she shares the invitation with the people in town, people that didn't even like her, people that, that wanted nothing to do with her. And she just says, come and see. You know, this next weekend, we got a great opportunity. This place is going to be packed with people. Maybe there's someone in your life that you just need to say, hey, you want to come and see? You want to come and see Jesus? You want to come to church with me? Come and see, some, come, come and see the person who changed my life. 